morning church. Um, today's passage comes from Isaiah 35 uh, verses 1 to 10. Before we read, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As your word is read out, may you open our hearts to receive them and help us to understand so that we may be equipped for every good work through your son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap with the, like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. For only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you. The Lord be with you. And to those who are joining us online, the Lord be with you too. Uh, we are glad that you are continuing to join us. We hope that soon there will be no more restrictions and we can all gather together in person. Uh, however, during this pandemic, we, uh, we have to be prepared for any unforeseen circumstances. Uh, for example, Darren Hindo uh, is supposed to be here this morning to preach to us, but the sudden change in his travel arrangement, returning from Singapore after Jason's wedding, uh, means that he cannot be in Melbourne this morning. Uh, so he sends his sincere apologies. So this morning, instead of continuing with our study of First Peter, uh, we will consider the words of the prophet Isaiah to encourage us as we uh, meditate on the joy of Advent. Now, as we have been saying, Advent is a season of great expectation that God will come to live with his people and do a mighty work of salvation. And therefore, our hearts are to be filled with joy. And so if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 35. And in this chapter, Isaiah gives us three reasons why we can be filled with joy and why we can be the happiest people on earth, even though the Apostle Peter as we have heard previously, the Apostle Peter tells us that we have been called to, uh, 
us uh, to a life of unjust suffering. So despite persecution and despite being treated unjustly by this world, we can be the happiest people on earth. And I hope you will believe in this because very often Christians seem to be downcast um, and they are sad that they are having a bad deal on the, in, in this earth. Uh, but really, when we look at totality and especially when we look to the end, we are most privileged and we are most blessed and we, are, uh, we should be the happiest people on earth. Okay, so Isaiah gives three reasons <coughs> why we can be the happiest people on earth. First, because God has promised to come to save us from judgment. Second, God will reverse the effects of sin. And third, God will take uh, us home, take us to our true home. So let us look at each of these three reasons um, uh, uh, together. So first, God has promised... Uh, next slide, please. Yeah. Uh, God has promised to, to come to save us from judgment. So look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, it reads, the, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, uh, which is a type of flowering ground cover. Uh, the crocus will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Uh, so you can imagine a desert land blooming into a garden. So, um, so Isaiah is prophesying a future time when this will happen, when the desert will become a garden. Now today, modern technology has enabled humans uh, to turn barren land into agricultural land. But, but Isaiah is not prophesying about the wonders of modern technology. No, Isaiah is prophesying about God saving his people from judgment. You see, the transformation of a desert into a land of abundance is used as a metaphor. Uh, in the Old Testament, desert is symbolic of God's judgment. And if you read the previous chapter in Isaiah chapter 34, uh, God says that he will punish all the nations and turn them into desert. Okay, so judgment is symbolic of God's judgment. And the land of abundance is symbolic of God's blessing. And so using these symbols, Isaiah is prophesying that a day will come when God will come to save his people from judgment. And when God comes, the people will also see his glory. And so Isaiah continues with this word. Um, in the next slide, please. Um, <clears throat> they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God, and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And these are the words, these were the words uh, spoken by Isaiah to the people of Israel. And for the Israelites, Isaiah's prophecy 
was fulfilled when God saved them out of the Babylonian exile and returned them to their homeland. But for us today, Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled when God sent his son, Jesus, at Christmas. You see, in Jesus, we see God's glory. And the Apostle John, in his gospel account, described the coming of Jesus with these words in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus reflects God's glory. And not only do we see God's glory in Jesus, but in Jesus, we also see God's salvation. So the Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, Apostle John continues his gospel account with these words in uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Uh, as we all are very familiar with uh, these two verses, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So we can rejoice that Jesus sent, uh, God sent Jesus to save the world, to save you and I. And we need saving because we are enslaved in sin and we are under God's judgment. But now, Jesus saves us by dying on, his, on the cross to pay the penalty our sins deserve. As a result, our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God and we are saved from God's judgment and we are given new life. And that is a reason for celebration. And imagine someone on death row and suddenly he learns that he, is, he has been set free because someone else has taken his place. And he will be over the moon. And likewise, we Christians who are under God's judgment before we know Christ, suddenly has been set free from judgment and given new life because of what Jesus has done. And so we are like the desert bursting into new life with glorious blooms. Our hearts are glad. We are the happiest people because once we were bound for hell, but now we are bound for heaven. Once we were dead, but now we, are, now we live again. And once we were condemned, now we are saved. And this is by God. And God has saved us not because we are worthy, or we are righteous, but because he has kept his promise. And that is the first reason why we should be happy. And the, reason we, the second reason we should be joyful is because God has reversed the effects of sin. So Isaiah tells us that when God comes to save his people, they will not only see his glory, but they will also see his power to reverse the effects of sin. So look at verses 5 and 6. Uh, we read that, um, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap 
like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So again, you can see that picture that Isaiah wants to give us, that transformation. And Isaiah uses two metaphors to describe the effects of sin on human lives. The first one is infirmity, diseases, sickness, blindness, lame, mute. All these are associated with the curse on human sin. And the second metaphor uh, that Isaiah uses is the wilderness or the desert. Here, uh, he uses the desert to represent death, uh, which is the ultimate curse uh, for human sinfulness. But when God comes to save his people, he will reverse the effects of sin. So the sick will be healed of their diseases, and the dead will receive new life, just as streams flowing in the desert will bring new life. And so again, this aspect of Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled by Jesus. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus was asked by the disciples of John the Baptist, who was then in prison. And John the Baptist in prison wanted to know if Jesus was truly the Messiah. And so Jesus gave John's disciples this answer, um, in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus told the, uh, the John's disciples, says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who, are, who have leprosy are cleansed, uh, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so, the physical healing performed by Jesus proves that he is truly the promised Messiah. And as the promised Messiah, Jesus told his disciples that he has the power to forgive sins. And he has also the power to give new life to those who are dead. And his disciples at first could not understand and probably could not believe either. They could not understand how Jesus could accomplish his claims to forgive sins and to give new life until they witnessed Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. And then following Jesus' ascension into heaven, the, the disciples could not stop preaching the message of the gospel. And of course, we know the message of the gospel that whoever puts their trust in Jesus will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is the gift of the Holy Spirit that uh, who will give us life, new life. You see, the Holy Spirit, after giving us new life, will make us holy as God is holy. And the Holy Spirit will make sure that the effects of sin do not continue to afflict us. It does not mean then that we will be cured of whatever diseases we have or we may be suffering. Um, it does not mean that we will never be sick again. No. What it means is that we will still suffer physical illness, but 
the Holy Spirit will help us to keep away from spiritual sickness. You see, the Holy Spirit will do this by convicting us of sins so that we can repent of them. And in that way, we remain spiritually healthy. And another way that we, that the Holy Spirit will help us remain spiritual health, spiritually healthy is to give us the desire to pray. And the Holy Spirit will also give us the understanding of God's word and the desire to obey his word. So prayer and scripture are part of God's grace to help us grow into Christ-likeness. And like Christ, the Holy Spirit will give us the power to resist temptation and obey God instead. And happy are we when we keep obeying God instead of falling into sin. So brothers and sisters, do not forget that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Call on Him always and He will guide you and empower you to be spiritually healthy. And when we are spiritually, spiritually healthy, we will, we will have gladness of heart. We will be happy. Okay? So remember that the Holy Spirit will keep us spiritually healthy to, to the end so that we will receive the inheritance kept for us in heaven. So in fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is the deposit that guarantees our inheritance in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what Jesus the Messiah will, will establish here on earth when he comes again. Because when Jesus comes again, he will destroy all evil and he will establish the new heaven and the new earth. And all who belong to Jesus will be in the new creation with him. And so this leads us to the third reason why we can be the happiest people. Because God will lead us safely back to our true home. So look at verses 8 to 10. Let me read them. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not uh, uh, go, on, uh, go about on it. Uh, no lion will be there, nor any ravenous, ravenous beast. They will be found there. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy with crowns will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So you can imagine that beautiful scene you know, as crowds of pilgrims returning home to Jerusalem and they're shouting for joy and singing because God has led them and is leading them home. And so, so in this final part of his vision in chapter 35, Isaiah tells us that God will raise a highway that leads to Zion. And Zion is another name for Jerusalem. So for the Israelites, um, Isaiah's vision is the picture of the joyful return to Jerusalem from their exile in Babylon. 
But we know that this just can't be uh, the return to Babylon because <coughs> it describes the everlasting joy. Okay? So the everlasting joy points us to something beyond the return to the earthly Jerusalem. In fact, the New Testament say, uh, uh, in, in the New Testament, Zion refers to the new Jerusalem, and the new Jerusalem represents the new heavens and the new earth. So this part of Isaiah's prophecy is actually about Jesus' return. When Jesus returned to take us home into the new heaven and the new earth. So our true home is not in this world, as the Apostle Peter uh, has reminded us. We are foreigners, we are exiled. But when Jesus comes again to establish the new world, Jesus will finally take us to be with him to our new home. And there will be everlasting joy because we will see Jesus face to face and God will dwell among us and God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death. Sorrow and sighing will flee away because there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering. And there will be only overflowing happiness and everlasting joy. And so as we picture this in our mind, we know that this is going to be our inheritance. So this advent, as we look forward to Christ, uh, as we look forward to Christ's return, let us be filled with joy. And let Isaiah keep reminding us of the three reasons why we are to be happy. It, it is uh, one thing to have reasons to be happy, but it is another um, thing where uh, whether people looking at us, whether they can sense that uh, we are happy. So how will other people know that we are happy? How can, how can, how can they tell that we are joyful? Must we always be smiling? Or must we always be laughing? Um, well, Isaiah gives us the answer. He says, our family and our friends will tell us that we are happy and joyful when they see us doing two things. One is when they see us uh, walk the way of holiness. Um, yeah. uh, when friends and family and strangers see us walk the way of holiness, they will see that we are happy. And, and this may be surprising to many because the world often mocks holy living. You see, the world says that a holy life is a miserable life because you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot enjoy all the fun and all the pleasures of this world. And so, the, to the world, a holy life cannot be a happy life. To the world, an indulgent life, an indulgent life is a happy life because in an indulgent life, we can be free to indulge in all the sensual pleasures and all the fun the world has to offer. But Isaiah tells us differently. Isaiah tells us that the indulgent life of the world is a snare, is a trap. 
And he calls the people who engage in the indulgent life as unclean. And they are the wicked fools. You see, the unclean and the wicked fools uh, refer to the same group of people. And these people, they live their lives without God. They do not want God in their lives at all. And so they reject God's boundaries for what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is holy and what is profane. So they disregard all these boundaries and they live only to please themselves. And so they think that this is the way to happiness. But their way will lead to destruction. And so their happiness is transient. Their joy is false because their way will lead to destruction. But the way of holiness leads to true and everlasting joy. This is because God is the source of all joy. God is the source of all happiness. You see, we must not think that God is anti-fun. We must not think that God is anti-pleasure. In fact, the psalmist tells us that there is joy and eternal pleasures in, in the presence of God. And therefore, when we are holy as God is holy, we will live to please God. And God will grant us the clean and godly pleasures that he wants us to enjoy. So when people see us walking the way of holiness, they will not see us chasing after the sensual pleasures of this world. They will not see us chasing after the material things of this world. Instead, they will see that we are content. And they, they will see that we are content with what God has given us. And they will see that we are not greedy. And they will see that we are not anxious about anything. And they will see that we are happy in the Lord Jesus. And when they ask us for the secret of our happiness, we will tell them <coughs> the way of holiness. So that is the first way that people looking from outside, looking at us, will know that we are joyful people. And the second way we can tell, uh, uh, people can tell that we are happy and joyful is from our singing. Okay, let's go. Now, we all know, we, we all love to sing. And it is a natural tendency for human beings to sing when we are happy. Right? And every people group, every culture has its own songs of joy that they sing when they're happy. And so for Christians, uh, it's not that Christians are, are no exception. We are the people, um, Isaiah says, we are the people who are redeemed. And we are the people whom the Lord has rescued. And we know that God in Christ has rescued us from eternal death and given us eternal life. So we have good reasons, very good reasons to be singing. And our hearts are very glad and we will want to sing. And we want everyone to sing along with us. So we want to sing how great God is. And we want to sing how he has done, how God has done marvelous things to save us. So we want to sing the gospel we want to sing about Jesus and his love for us. 
And yet, we can make two mistakes when we come to singing. <coughs> One is we seem to, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> One, we, we seem to lack enthusiasm in our singing. You see, our singing does not seem to reflect our joy. And in our singing, we often do not give the impression that we are happy. I'm not sure how we sing, if an outsider, a stranger comes in and hears us sing, uh, would they have the impression that we are joyful and we are happy? Or when they look at our faces and they say, oh, a very somber and very, um, whether it's a funeral, you know? So I'm not sure what, what outsiders think, uh, think about us, but I think we should ask ourselves, you know, if we are really happy in the Lord, our singing should show that. And this does not mean that we, we, we must be uh, clapping all the time or jumping up and down. Um, no. We can express our joy in our faces, uh, in our eyes, uh, when we sing. So the next time we sing, let people know that we are really glad for what God has done for us. And this brings us to the second mistake we make. We sing often about our feelings rather than about the gospel. Okay, many, many melodious songs, many, many good songs have poor, uh, good, uh, poor gospel lyrics. They tend to be sentimental. Uh, the, the, the lyrics are sentimental and they are more about our response to God's love rather than what God has done for us in His great love in Jesus Christ. So the songs we sing are often more about us, about our feelings uh, rather than about God and about Jesus. So next, I mean, we have been uh, choosing songs and the, the, the music team has been great choosing songs uh, good gospel songs with uh, solid lyrics. So we must keep to that. So our singing must always focus more on God and on Christ and less on ourselves and our feelings. And in that way, we glorify God rather than glorify ourselves. So brothers and sisters, let our holy living and let our singing bear testimony to the power of the gospel in our lives. And let us show that the Christian faith is not boring. Let us show that it does not produce misery. Instead, there is joy and happiness because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. And therefore, and during this Advent, let us look forward to Christ's return with joyful anticipation. Let us rejoice always because of Jesus. He is the joy of highest heaven. And Jesus is always our joy. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great salvation in Christ Jesus. Help us always to remember that you are the source of our joy. Grant us the power to live the holy lives that you demand of us. And may we always sing of your greatness and goodness so that others may come to know of your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
When sufferings cease and sorrows die and every longing is satisfied, then joy unspeakable will flood my soul, for I am truly home. These are the words in There is a Hope. Um, we're going to be singing this song.